Say I'm there. Say I'm ready. All right, we're going to read this. John chapter number 4, kicking off in verse 5. It says, So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Everybody say Jacob's well. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well, and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will be a well springing up into him to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Father, we ask that the, you bless the reading of your word. Let souls be saved. Let lives be changed. Lord, I pray today that we would put it all on the line and we would advance the kingdom of God with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. The title of this morning's message is Daily Double. Daily Double. We're in a series called Jeopardy, and we know this, and that in this series, we're living like the answer, so people begin to ask questions. I want people to ask questions about why is your marriage so good, because you're living as the answer, and people will ask questions. I want people to come to you and say, how do your kids have so much joy in the midst of all the crazy chaoticness, and you can give them the answer, and it's Jesus Christ. I want them to come ask you questions. How are you so financially blessed in the middle of political turmoil like we're going through, and you have the answer in Jesus Christ and it's with that answer that we're gonna accomplish all that God's called us to do this year in reach we're gonna raise eternal in community hope the Bible says this in 2nd Corinthians 13 B it says we will boast or celebrate or glory in only regard to the area of influence that God has assigned to us to reach even you so we're recognizing our area of influence it's the 20 mile radius and influence means we're gonna change culture in a 20 mile radius but we're not stopping there we're gonna impact the four state area and we're gonna ignite nations around the world and there's a goal for every one of us this year that you reach somebody with the gospel of Jesus Christ you personally lead somebody to the Lord Jesus Christ as you pray a prayer with them and they become born again I want you to be able to bring them to church I would love to do it but there's no greater experience Experience in life than you as a believer leading somebody else to the Lord Jesus Christ and if you haven't done it you got half of a year left we're five months till the end of the year and so you got five months left to lead your person to the Lord Jesus Christ a great way to do that is bring them to Super Sunday when you're in an environment filled with believers that they can have an encounter with the Father and so as we're in this series of Jeopardy living as the answer so people ask questions there's a particular place in Jeopardy of the TV show that it's called the Daily Double and now, as we learned in the very first service that we had on this series, it, the, the series Jeopardy, it's a TV show where they give you the answer and you have to phrase the response in the form of a question. So we found out that we're going to live as the answer so people ask questions. But then last week, or two weeks ago, I'm sorry, we talked about choose a category and we chose a category, how we're going to live our life. But in the game of Jeopardy, there is a specific thing that happens is when you're playing the game and you've chosen your category and you're going down and let's say I take the Bible for 400 and then something pops up on the screen and it's called the Daily Double. 
And in the daily double, you get the opportunity to pick how much of your points or dollar amount that you've made that you're going to wager on the question before you even figure out what it is. And so basically, you have the ability by yourself because in the daily double, the other two participants can't play. It's just you and the question that you get to decide how much you're putting on the line. You get to decide of all your hard work, of all your efforts, of everything that you've built up to this point, and you get the daily double. You get to decide what are you going to put on the line? What are you going to wager? And as the answer comes up, will you be able to answer the question? Today's daily double is called Jacob's Well. Jacob's Well is today's daily double. And so if we're going to talk about Jacob's Well, I want us to talk about several wells throughout the Bible. But as we begin with Jacob's Well in this story, it says Jesus was going into a town of Sychar, and it was in the country of Samaria, or the area of Samaria, and he met a woman there at the well. Now, we always read this story as the well just being part of the backdrop, part of the history, part of the story, part of the scenery, part of the, 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 just the ambiance, and we say the miracle is what Jesus did with the woman. But I want to encourage you that a well is just a well until you have an experience at the well. Amen. Yeah. A baptistry is just a baptistry. It's part of the TWBC scenery until you've gotten into the baptistry and you've died to yourself and you come up a new creation in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? Yeah. So it's a part of the scenery until you have an experience at it. Amen. So TWBC, the chairs you see, the banners you see, the great lights you see, the stage that you see, the big screen that you see, it's all part of just the scenery until you have an experience with the Father. We've created this church for one reason, and it's in our DNA for this, that you have an experience with the Father. And so we create an environment for you to have an encounter with the Father. We want you to directly relate to the Father, hear the Father's voice, and as you grow vertically with Him, then you'll stretch out your arms horizontally and unite with other believers, moving the kingdom of God forward. That's why we do what we do. But church is just church until you have an experience or an encounter at the church. And then it's not just a church. Then it's a place of life. Then it's a place where you found Jesus. Then it's a place where you went from depressed to overflowing with joy. You went from behind in life to ahead in life. It's the place where you come and have an encounter with the Father and everything that was wrong, suddenly Jesus makes it turn right, amen. Where all your sin and everything that you've gone through is now transformed into a lifestyle of righteousness moving forward in every place. Of your life so I want you to have an encounter an experience with Jesus Christ this morning and I don't want this to be part of the scenery of your Sunday morning worship service because all over the world people gather for worship on Sunday morning and they go to church and leave with never having an encounter and never having an experience and it just becomes the well that you go to every day but can I tell you there was something different about that day when she met Jesus at the well, an experience happened, an encounter happened, and I promise you for the rest of her life, that well was not Jacob's well any longer. It was Jesus' well, and it was her well, because at that place, she had an encounter with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? And so I want you this morning to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. And if you're going to do that, i got to ask you some questions. So the question I'm going to ask you is this. What? What is occupying your well? And I want to take you back to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis where Jesus, or not where Jesus, where the writer Moses talks about the history and what's taking place in Genesis 26. There's a particular well that I want us to address this morning. And the Bible says this in Genesis 26, starting in verse 1. And it says, now there was a famine in the land. Everybody say famine. Some of you, you can relate to this. You walked in and your marriage is in a famine. 
You walked in and your finances are in a famine. You walked in and it seems like the relationship with your kids are in a famine. You walked in and it seemed like your career is in a famine. But can I tell you what's happening in a famine? If you'll take what's in the famine and you have an experience at the well, it'll change your famine into a harvest. And so I want you to figure out whatever area of your life is in a famine. And some of you, God is going to reveal so much to you in this message if you'll just embrace what he's doing. Embrace the movement of the Spirit of God on your life because you got all these things flooding your life that you say, you know, this could be better. You know, my work could be better. My family could be better. My relationship with my kids could be better. My relationship with my spouse could be a lot better. And and my relationship with Christ could be better. And you're kind of realizing, I may not be in a complete famine, but I sure could be in a funk. I sure could be in a dry spell. I couldn't label it a famine, but hey, a famine doesn't happen overnight. It's because a dry spell stays dry long enough and it turns into a famine. Amen. And so I want you to judge every area of your life. And it says, now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine in the days of Abraham. So they were not um, uh, unaccustomed to famines. And so they had to differentiate which famine it was. And so this may not be your first famine. Amen. This may not be your only famine, but I have the answer to your famine here this morning. And so the Bible says this, And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, and the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land that I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. And you and your offspring I will give these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to your father Abraham. Now listen, verse 12. And Isaac sowed in that land... And reaped in that same year a 100-fold return. Amen. Amen. Give God praise before it even happens in your life. So you got a famine that rivals a former famine. So they're comparing the depths of the famine. And you have a man who trusted in the promises of God and sowed in the midst of a famine. And in that same year received a 100-fold return. And the Lord blessed him. Now, 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 time out. A lot of y'all think the hundredfold return is the blessing, and that's not what it says. See, he got a hundredfold return, and he got a blessing. See, some of y'all are selling out for cash. (laughs) Come on now. You're selling out for the pay raise, because you think that's the blessing. If you limit your God to a pay raise, he ain't God. Mm, Come on, I can get off on a tangent. Here we go. Mm. The blessing was not the money. But listen to what God continued to do. He showed his favor. So he received a hundredfold return in that year, and the Lord blessed him, and he became rich, and that's rubbing some of you religious people wrong, and that's okay, and he gained more and more. You notice he didn't just say more once. I believe it was more for the famine he was in and more for the famine that was. Amen. He's redeeming. Man, I could go way off on this. Come on. And he received more and more, and he didn't just become rich. It says, until he became very wealthy. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. But if you only equate your God to wealth, you're missing the blessing. If you only equate your God to money and financial situations, you're missing the blessing. It's a part of the pie, don't get me wrong. But believe me, money ain't the whole pie. It may be the crust, it may be the filling, but believe me, it's not the complete kingdom because God doesn't put much value on money. He pays his street with gold. He makes gates out of pearls. Right. So so if you're putting so much stock in the blessing of God being how you're financially situated, it's a part of the pie. But believe me, it's not all of the pie. I believe it's like the little flour on the on the crust on the very bottom that keeps the pie from sticking. Amen. See, I've seen my wife bake a little bit. I haven't done it myself. Thank you, Jesus. 
And so don't put all the stock in your financial situation, but if you're in a famine, God can have you sow in a place of famine, reap a hundredfold return in that same year, and then continue with the blessing of God on your life just to prove that he's God and make amazing things happen in your life. And it says, uh, and it says he had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants so that the Philistines, his enemies, envied him. Now, the Philistines had stopped up and filled with earth all the wells, everybody say all the wells, all the wells. that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And then Isaac dug again, opened the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father, which the Philistines had stopped up after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. I want to talk to you about the wells this morning and what's occupying your well. And some of you this morning, if you'll take the faith that God's given you and you'll begin to plant right where you're at, even though your marriage ain't good and your family ain't good and your kids don't seem good and your work don't seem good and you don't know how you're going to handle buying the kids school clothes and getting back to school and all you got at this moment is God and famine, you got to start planting in the midst of the famine because sometimes God gives you a promise, not the answer. But the problem is the church would rather settle for the answer, not the promise. When the promise is so much greater than just the answer. See, some of you think the answer to your current problem is if I just had $5,000 more, everything would be good. I would have enough to get all my kids' stuff for school and Christmas. So you think the answer is money when God says the answer is a promise. And if you'll start planting seeds in the midst of wherever you're at, he's going to bring you more than money. He's going to bring you a harvest in the same year of a hundredfold return, but a blessing, which is the promise of God. But first, you've got to find out what's occupying your well. You've got to find out what is occupying your well. Jesus said this, the water that I give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So that means God wants to do something in your life in such a way that it becomes a spring welling up on the inside of you that flows to eternal life. Not just your eternal life, but it should overflow so much it affects somebody else and brings them into eternal life. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So God's saying there's a well inside of you that's springing up and it should produce an overflow in some way that brings not just you, not, this is more than just salvation, but it's all the eternal things that he's revealed to you. It brings you and all those things into eternal life, but also your overflow is not for you because it's overflow. It's for somebody else to affect their life, to influence a 20 mile radius, to impact a four state area, to ignite nations around the world and bring others into eternal life as well. Well, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So my question is, what is filling your well and what is tainting your water? See, it says the Philistines came and they filled back up the wells of Abraham. The, the promise first came to Abraham, not Isaac. And the blessing came upon Isaac's life because he believed the promise of his father, Abraham. And so the Philistines, who were always fighting against God's people, began to fill up the very life source that would supply the needs for the family of Isaac. They began to fill it with dirt, and it closed off the well, and it tainted the water. So my question to you is, what are you letting come into your life that is closing off the wellspring leading to eternal life inside of you? Jesus makes very clearly, watch what you watch and listen to what you're listening to. 
Because the eye is the gateway in and your ears are a gateway in. And if you don't guard the gateways of things that come into your life, your well is going to get filled up with worldly stuff and your water is going to be tainted. And you're going to start talking about Jesus in a way that's familiar to the world and not familiar to heaven. And it's time we start talking about Jesus, who is very familiar with heaven and the things of heaven and how it applies to this earth, not the way the world's tainted it or the water that's been tainted by it or the dirt that's trying to fill up the well overflowing in your life. It's time that we come back to a fresh well with fresh water and eternal life in Christ Jesus. So I'm asking you, are you watching what you're watching? Are you watching what your kids are watching? Are you watching what your parents are watching? Some of you still live with your parents. Man, I, I love our rage generation, changing culture in their family. Do you guys know that we've had countless families come to Christ and their families start coming to this church through the kids changing culture? The young adults changing culture? I mean, bless God, he's no respecter of persons, but he is a respecter of faith. And if you'll start planting seeds of God's word in the midst of your famine, his harvest is guaranteed to come. But his harvest isn't always necessary, the blessing all in one. You can get a harvest, but then he still wants to give you the promise of it going to eternal life. So my question is, what's filling your well and what's tainting your water? See, the father is not upset at the size of your shovel. He's upset when you're not using it to dig open what the world's filling up. The father's not upset at the size of your shovel. The father's not upset because I'm operating like this and you look at somebody else and they got this. Now I look at this shovel and I look at this shovel and some of you say, Pastor, that's a spoon. See, you already got wrong perspective. You already got wrong perspective. And I look at this shovel, and man, I see it's scratched up. I see it's nicked up. I see it's got a little bit of rust happening on it. I see it's got a little bend happening in it. I see it's got scratches on it that shouldn't be there, and it hadn't been polished in a while. And it looks like it's been used quite often. And I see this shovel, and man, it is shiny silver, brand new, with a lifetime warranty. I'm not sure why you need a shovel with a lifetime warranty if you never get it in the dirt. Come on now. Why you need a shovel with a lifetime warranty if you're never going to get it out and start digging with it? See, God's not upset at the size of your shovel. See, some of you are upset because you're comparing your shovel to this shovel. But if you'll start using this shovel, you'll be able to accomplish great and mighty things with this shovel. And the common lie in the church today that if I use this shovel long enough, maybe God will promote me to this shovel. But see, church isn't a corporate ladder scenario. And if he gave somebody this shovel, it's he wants them using this shovel. And if he gave you this shovel, he wants you using this shovel. And I do understand the principle that Jesus said, when you're faithful with little, he'll give you much. But he may not give you a bigger shovel. He may give you a thousand spoons. Now, let me tell you about this. I would rather have a spoon than a shovel. And here's why. Because I like to eat. But if I'm sitting over here mad all the time because I ain't got a shovel, listen, I can't eat Fruit Loops with this. <laughs> I can't do much to satisfy my appetite with that. But if I use the shovel that I do got, 
and I'll start feasting on the bread that he has given me and I'll start drinking the water that he has given me and I'll start using what he has given me. He may multiply this and it may become this. He may multiply this and it could become a thousand spoons or he may just leave it at this and say, baby, run your race because with this spoon, (laughs) with this spoon, you'll change the world. And in your weakness, I'll show you how great I am and I'll transform the world and you through a spoon. See, some of y'all already been transformed by a spoon. You're like, dang, I never thought of that. See, a spoon is a, ma- it's a, it's a spiritual thing. It's an amazing thing. Y'all were transformed by a spoon. See, God can use anything, anyone. But you've got to quit complaining about not having a shovel. God's not mad at the size of your shovel. He's upset and frustrated. When the body of Christ starts comparing shovels, when the body of Christ isn't using their shovel, either size shovel, and I'm telling you, we're sitting here asking God for bigger shovels, when God says, I want to see you multiply the shovel you got. We're asking God for a bigger car, and with the bigger car, we make these empty promises that says, God, I promise if you give me the SUV of my dreams, I'll fill it with people and bring them to church. No, you won't, because you're not filling your Kia. Come on now. You're not feeling... I'm sorry. I apologize to those of you who drive a Kia. That was not intentional. That was not intentional. I love y'all. Hey, and I'm going to... Okay, since we... Miss Sharon always got somebody in the car with her bringing her to church. So, Miss Sharon, I'm praying a blessing to God on your life. Amen. Thank you so much. Even if it is Damon's mama. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Come on now. I love it, man. Y'all just don't know what a good time is until you hung out with Sharon and Carol. I'm just telling you. Man, they got it going on. I love it. God ain't upset with this. In fact, he addresses it in a pretty amazing way. The way that he addresses it is there's an account in the Bible. And the account in the Bible is like this. There's a man who came up to Jesus. And Jesus, and he comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, Jesus, I do believe. And we can all relate with this. Help me overcome my unbelief. How many of y'all ever been there? Joel's been there. I ain't going to lie. I do believe. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Listen, when he asked Jesus that question, Jesus did not reject him. Jesus did not rebuke him. But what Jesus did was reposition him in his faith. See, some of us got to begin to understand this, that when you have an issue of unbelief, Jesus is not going to reject you. He's not going to rebuke you. But what he's going to do is reposition you. And some of you need to embrace the repositioning so you can get to a new perspective of believing because Jesus wants you to look at it a little bit different than you're looking at it. And so he's not upset with the size of your shovel. But he is upset if you're not using what you got, no matter how little you may think it is. Because with that little, God can begin to do a whole lot. But with the size of your shovel, if you call it unbelief, he's going to reposition you in what you do have so you'll start planting seeds in the midst of a famine to bring a harvest of a hundredfold return and a blessing on top of that that will change the world. And did you get what he said? It made his own enemies envious of him. Man, I think your marriage ought to be so great that your people who don't like you are envious of your marriage. I'm just telling you. I think your marriage should be so spirit-filled and your family so spirit-filled, full of the joy of God, full of the peace of God, full of the nine fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, that when you walk out in public, people say, dang, why can't I just be like them? Because you're living after the answer, and they just ask the question, why can't I be like them? 
He's not upset at the size of your shovel. He's upset if you're not using it at all. He didn't rebuke the man for unbelief, but he repositioned him in his faith. Watch what God can do in your life. So I need you to answer the question, what's occupying your well? I also need you to answer this question, who is occupying your well? 2 Samuel 23, 14 through 16 says this, another one of the amazing stories in the Bible. David was then in the stronghold. David was at a war. He was in a battle, okay? He was in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistine army was at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried it and brought it to David. Now let me explain this story. There's a major battle going on. There is major warfare going on. And so you got King David who's over here, but then you got the Philistine army who was in a very specific place. You notice how specific he was about the well. It was more than scenery. It was the promise. And it said about this well, I want some water from the well in Bethlehem, That's the one that's near the gate. He made very specific. See, because when David was reigning as king, Bethlehem was in the promised land of God that he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and was beginning to be fulfilled through Joseph. And Joseph had the 12 sons and, and, and all the, or the, or Jacob had the 12 sons and Joseph was one of them. And so they began to inherit the land and the promised land. And so in that, David said, this land belongs to us, God's people, and I want my promise back. Yeah. See, some of you got to understand not just what's occupying your well, but who's occupying your well. Some of you are under influences you don't even realize, and they're manipulating your life, and they're occupying your well and keeping you from the very promises that God said are yours. Some of you in your poverty mentality and your, and, and your, and your, and your um, false humility and your ungrateful hearts on some things in your life and I'm not trying to be mean here today I'm not trying to be mean-spirited at all but you're under the influence of those things in your life and they're the Philistine army keeping you from the promise of God that's the well in Bethlehem that he declared is yours to your fathers Abraham Isaac and Jacob and King David came to the realization he said I'm tired of fighting this defeated enemy I'm in covenant with God I've already defeated Goliath and so in this moment if somebody would just give me a drink of water that belongs to us already and three men of God says we need no further instructions they rose up and they broke through the lines and they killed and they massacred all the way to the well got David some water and brought it back to the king amen come on and make no mistake about this this was not some excuse me sir can you let me through I would like to go get some water no this was a bloody battle if you'll read the Bible right it's not it's not g-rated I'm just telling you and so they took back what belonged to them because it was personal to them. I want to show you a movie clip right quick that will explain my point a little bit better. Guys, if you'll show this movie clip, that'd be great. If you let my daughter go now, that will be the end of it. I will not look for you, 
why on earth would I show that in church? Because here's the thing. You've got a particular set of skills. God's not upset at how many skills you got. He's upset if you're not using your skills. You got a particular set of skills called prayer. You got a particular set of skills in the Word of God. You got a particular set of skills that He's anointed you and appointed you with and called you with to step out and advance the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ with. He's not upset at how talented you are. He's not upset at how, how great your skills are. He's upset that you're not using what you got so He can increase how you're going to affect the kingdom of God. Amen. And so I'm going to tell you this that there are times in your life and there are times when you've got to go to battle. And listen, I believe this, that our battle is not against flesh and blood. So I'm not advocating killing people. Yeah. I need y'all to hear what I'm saying, not what I'm not saying. Some of y'all leave here and you're in jail tomorrow. Don't blame pastor. Listen, we don't have a jail ministry yet. I'm just saying. But here's the deal. Some of you need to take the gospel of Jesus Christ. And some of us need to take what Jesus Christ did personally on the cross. We need to take it a lot more personal than we have. And what do I mean by that? This guy in the movie, Liam Neeson, in this movie that he's in, his daughter was just kidnapped. And she was about to be exploited all over the world with the trafficking that's going on currently in the world today. And this man was affected by something that was taken from him. And he didn't just sit back and say, oh, well, if it be that will. He took it personal. Yeah, come on. And I think it's time in the body of Christ we start taking things personal again. I think it's time that we should start taking it personal in our life. And remember, our battle's not against flesh and blood. Our, our, our weapons of warfare are not carnal for the earth, but they're mighty in the spiritual realm for the pulling down of strongholds. So I want you to go to war, and I want you to leave no survivors in the realm of the spirit so you can step into the well that he's trying to get you to, to overflow up as a spring to, of living water to life. And listen to what I'm saying here. You've got to start taking it personal. Listen, I'll give you an example. Whenever the enemy begins to attack my health, I take it personal. I don't praise him if it be thy will prayer. I look at it like this. When the enemy starts attacking my health, he's trying to steal from me, not the benefit of health that so many people have phrased it as today. Jesus is more than a benefit. He is King of kings, Lord of lords, Savior of this world. And the minute you equate his dying on the cross and his sacrifice there to just a benefit, you've missed it altogether. You need to take the gospel personally. And when an attack on my health happens, I look at it like this. It's the enemy trying to come into my life and take or kidnap something that's so precious to me. It's called my salvation. Not that I'm losing my salvation. Don't mix that up. He's trying to take the hope of my salvation and the promises of God that he's given me and remove them so far away that I stay in the chaos and the turmoil that I'm in. And so when I have an attack on my health, I take it personally like he's trying to kidnap Jesus from me and take my Savior, take the hope of glory from me, and I take it personally personal and I go to war yeah, come on. and now some of y'all are sitting here thinking well I don't necessarily know if I agree with that well don't agree with it but I don't see people who disagree with it accomplishing much in the kingdom of heaven either I'm ready for seeing a church accomplish a lot for the kingdom of God of influencing, changing culture in a 20-mile radius, of impacting a four-state area, of truly igniting nations around the world. And that's not going to happen unless we start taking the things of God personally. And you know what? I've made a decision in my life that when Jesus said, oh, that someone would go, I'm going to go. 
It's my daily double. I'm laying it all on the line. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but it's Christ that lives within me. I'm taking up my cross daily, and I'm following him. I have nothing to look back for. I have nothing to go back for. I'm laying it all on the line, and I'm pressing forward, and we will advance the kingdom of God. It's my daily double, and I'm not wagering them out. I'm giving my life. It's your daily double today. It's your opportunity. And now let's go back to the well of Jacob that we're currently in. Jesus didn't come and take back a well. He created new water. Let's read the account again. The Bible says this in John chapter 4 verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, see, she's asking him a question. He was living as the answer. She asked him a question. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Another question. Are you greater than your father, Jacob? He gave us this well to drink from, and he drank from him himself. His sons did, and his livestock did. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water, a welling up into him to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. Now up until this point in the Bible, all throughout the history up to Jesus, it seems like it's been a game of chess. And you got move, counter move, move, counter move, move, counter move. You got Adam and Eve who came and they were God's people in an ordained place in the Garden of Eden. And you had the move of God and then you had the counter move of the enemy and you have the fall of humanity. Then you have the move of God again with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then you have the counter move of the enemy again of Pharaoh bringing them into captivity. And then you have the move of God with Moses and Joshua bringing his people in the promised land. And all throughout the Bible, you got move and counter move and move and counter move. And by the time you get to the New Testament, you're thinking, are we ever going to win this? thing but can I tell you when you get to the New Testament Jesus does something completely unexpected he didn't come like they did in the previous two stories to take back a well he came to change the water he didn't come to take back a well he came to change the water entirely Jesus didn't come to play in the game of move counter move Jesus came to change the game completely in your life he's coming to change the game completely and Jesus goes on to say this, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You're not called to make a move. You're called to change the game. So many believers think they're just a pawn in a chess game and you're not. And that may be part of the lie you believe because you think you're just a pawn in a chess game trying to make your next move. It's not about being a pawn in a chess game and what's your next move. You're not a pawn in a chess game. He came and filled you with the power of the Holy Spirit to change the whole game. And he says, when you lay your hands on people, it changes the game. They get healed. When you pray for somebody, it changes the game. They get born again. Jesus didn't come to take back an old well. He came to change the water source entirely. And so much so that it says this about the water. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. My question to you is this. What is occupying that well of life springing up to eternal life? 
What ground is covering it? What items are tainting it? Who is occupying that well? Do you have authority over your own Christian walk and your own beliefs? And you're saying, I'm going to seek God with all my heart. Or are you being influenced by every, everything from the outside world that you're letting into your life? And as I close this message, I want to say this statement that my wife said to me yesterday when we were driving home. She was reading a book and she quoted this man. And he was a patriarch of old and, and one of his statements that he made, he said, at the, end of my day, at the end of my days, I truly realized this. More than anything now, the only thing that I truly know is what has been revealed to me by the Spirit of God. Amen. So I'm not worried about your theology degrees. I'm not worried about if you know Old Testament survey and New Testament survey. I'm not worried about your hermeneutics and hominutics. I'm not worried about all those things that the world says, well, what qualifies you? I'll tell you what qualifies you. The blood of Jesus Christ is more than enough. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the power of God. And the Holy Spirit is the kingdom advancing forth that lives inside of you, that breathes inside of you, that gives you life welling up to eternal life in Christ Jesus. And what you've got to know and be more certain of than anything is the revelation knowledge that he's given you it's called wisdom from on high knowledge to apply it and understanding to teach it and move the kingdom of God forward and listen church we must understand this we must be more conscious of this we must be more conscious of the power of God in us than the presence of evil around us so many of us get our eyes off the power of God that's in us and focus on the present evil around us from political worldwide to state level to local level, from, from, from famines that are happening all around the world to droughts and to weather patterns and to all these things that are going on. We're so concerned with the problems around us, have we forgot the power of God in us? And if he's called you to change the game, he's not going to say, I'm withholding my power that you're going to do it with. your time it's the daily double it's your opportunity and I would say if you don't make a decision this morning you're gonna live the next week exactly the same as you live this week it'll be a setting at church a scenic view great show of baptisms great worship happening great things all around and it'll just be a part of the scenery. But it's your daily double. You can lay it all on the line today. And you can say, Jesus, I'm giving you my all. I'm giving you my everything as I lay it on the line today. And as I give it, I'm not looking back.